He's one of the world's most respected business experts, Jeffrey Hazlett. I want to take you behind the scenes on what's happening in business today. And whether you're on Main Street or Wall Street, we're going to find out the secrets behind their success. This is All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by Fortinet. Hey, today's guest compiled all-star stats over three decades of marketing, branding management, and PR experiencing, playing the advertising game at Ogilvy and Mather, and then shifting to the Girl Scouts of the USA team, where she represented their brand as the Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer. Then in 2011, though she's never played a team sport or worked in professional sports, she was picked to lead the Professional Sports League. Today on All Business with Jeffrey Hazel, we welcome the president of the Women's National Basketball Association, the WNBA, Laurel Ritchie. Okay. Hey, I want to ask you right off the bat, what was the hardest thing you had to do to get where you're at? Because you're at the top of your game. I mean, you've been a CMO, as I mentioned. You've been a top executive, SVP. You've been at ad agencies. And now here you are, the head of an entire sports network, all right? A fra- you know, one of the biggest franchises in the world. I mean, how hard was it to get to where you're at? I don't think it was hard, uh, in part because as you're going through the journey, uh, you're sort of looking one step ahead. So it's not like I started day one out of college saying X number of years from now, I be plan on being the-, the president of the WNBA. I can guarantee that that was not top of mind for me. Um, Are you so serious? For- it wasn't like one of your top three goals at one point? <laughs> not even on the list. Not even on the list. Well, Because you, you weren't even a basketball player, were you? I was not a basketball player. I I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and my dad uh, was a season ticket holder at the Cleveland Cavaliers, so I absolutely went to professional games and um, enjoyed them from a fan perspective. My dad and my brother are big basketball fans. My brother still plays every week. Uh, So I was around the game, but I did not play the game. Now, if I look back, you didn't belong to any organized sports at all. In fact, you were a, well, if you could call synchronized swimming an organized sport. I think that's what I read in your background. That's the one sport you really did? I was a synchronized swimmer, a very proud varsity synchronized swimmer, I might add. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I've, hit a, I've hit a sore point already right <laughs> off the bat. It's not good to piss off your guests right when they start off right? that. But. I was also a cheerleader, you know, and you've got to remember I was in high school uh, in the, the late 70s, mm-hmm. and I'm very proud of that. You know, I, I think as a cheerleader and a synchronized swimmer, I equate those two team sports. It's about discipline and preparation and working with others, uh, so I'm, I'm very proud of those two. Did, did, I mean, but you did catch a little flack, though, when you came in. I mean, I, look, I'm a marketer. I'm a former chief marketer as well, and I think you can, you know, box of soap, a cure for disease, political candidate, in this case, sports teams, it's all in the packaging. Um, but you took some flack from some people a little bit. I, I read some of the blogs back in 2011 and so forth that said, well, time will tell, but I think certainly without question, time's telling because look at some of the deals you've done. But, I mean, does, do you want to go back to some of those people and almost go like na 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 or something like that? I mean, Absolutely not. I, I've always believed that actions speak louder than words and had great um, faith in sort of my own abilities, but equally important what Adam Silver and David Stern saw in me in making the hire. So 
I, I really did believe that time time would tell. What do you think that What do you think that was? Because you know, David, I remember reading a quote where, and you told David you were, I think, a synchronized swimmer. He dropped his head and covered his face with his hands, <laughs> as I think is a quote, Fred, directly quote from you. But do, what do you think that they saw in you at that time that made it so perfect for you to step in and do what you're doing today? The WNBA was entering its 15th season, uh, and no question that the level of play was higher than it had ever been. Uh, it's a competitive game. It's a fast-paced game. And we, as the WNBA, attract the very best women's basketball players in the world. So I think they were focusing less on someone who had basketball, deep basketball knowledge and experience and looking for someone with marketing experience to help amplify, uh, to celebrate the players, to build awareness for the game, um, to do the outreach to fans and potential partners. So it really, at this point, I think in the history of the WNBA, the opportunities lie on the marketing side. And that doesn't mean we get complacent at all about the game and we're constantly looking for ways to strengthen and improving and to showcase the talent but at this point in time I think the the opportunities for us uh, are on the marketing side of the ledger well I remember you know you were uh, there was a quote says you were at a rematch of an inaugural game earlier in the year in Los Angeles reflected the point that the original game score was around 67 to 57 and that rematch was 96 to 91 I mean that's a big proof point right there of how far the league's really come Absolutely, and we're now on the, uh, this will be our 19th season we're entering into in 2005 and 2000, uh, sorry, 2015, Mm -hmm. and 2016 will be our 20th season. And so the young women and young athletes who are coming into the league today, in their world, the WNBA has always existed as a destination. And I think when you know you have the ability to play professionally, in your own country, if you have the talent and the dedication, you can really set your sights on reaching that pinnacle. And I think that's one of many reasons why the level of play in the WNBA is at an all-time high. Well, and you're starting to get a lot of those players not go overseas like they were now, and they're they're coming back. But you still have some of that, don't you? I mean, you, because uh, in fact, a lot of the fan questions that I had come in, because I always go out to the fans and your fans and, and ours and just say, hey, what question, if you had a chance to ask Laura anything, what would it be? And a couple of them were around that, uh, you know, and, and made comments the fact that, you know, people were playing over there, but yet coming back here and what can we do more to keep them here? And how do you address that? Well, first thing that comes to mind for me is we are part of a global women's basketball community. And Um, We look at it as the work that we do here and the opportunities here and the opportunities overseas are all building toward increasing um, awareness and engagement with women's basketball. So I truly do view us as part of a a global community with a shared goal. That said, I am really proud that um, women who have the opportunity sometimes, not always, but sometimes to make significantly more money when they play with their overseas team want to come back and play in the U.S. They want to play in front of a hometown crowd, their friends and family. They want to play against the very, very best, and they believe that in the WNBA 
within their own team and across the league, they're playing against uh, the very, very best. So I am very uh, thrilled that they see the value. And I would also say in some ways their equity, the, the equity they build in their brand and their game here in the U.S. is one of the things that makes them attractive to overseas leagues. Now I gotta ask you because I'm I'm I don't under I'm not a huge sports person so that's one so let's just give it to that because I'm kind of like uh, like to hang out with my horses in South Dakota but and and my sport is business but you don't do you you don't oversee the overseas teams do you as part of the activity you said you're part of a global community I just mean that just like means a goodwill community or, or I mean yeah absolutely okay. right. yeah my purview is the WNBA yeah um, and I. It, community in the broadest sense of the word okay well I, i'll give you that so so the, i'll go to one of the questions from glenn starkey and i thought that he he actually sent in a couple of good questions and one of the things he said with with so many players overseas and many top players placing the w on the he said second tier i'm not just quoting what he said if not skipping the wnba season altogether has any consideration been given to creating a form uh, mls highly successful beckham rule to compete uh, to keep players in the states year round, our competition committee uh, meets every year, uh, and in those meetings, uh, they usually occur at the end of our season, um, both as a wrap up of a season and a springboard for the next season. And we discuss a whole uh, host of issues. Um, I, I am conscious, as I said earlier, that our players um, play year round, and that they many of them play overseas. Um, and to their credit, and I think, and to uh, the high degree of athleticism, they are able to do that uh, and do that willingly, knowing that um, a professional basketball career is not usually as long as some other careers. You know, I'm heading into 30 odd years of marketing, which, right. you know, rare is the player, if ever, that's going to play for 30, 30 right, years. Right, so. Right. I think our players are extremely talented, they are very bright, uh, and they are very much in control of their careers. And it's important for us to offer uh, a destination for them to play here, and I'm very happy that they do. And I also understand when they rest. Uh, this season, Diana Taurasi has opted uh, not to play in the WNBA to rest, and here's a world-class athlete who has been playing uh, competitive professional basketball literally for 10 years, almost 340 out of 365 days a year. And if she feels she needs to take a season to rest, uh, the depth of talent in the WNBA has never been greater. I have great respect for her decision and look forward to her returning well-rested next season. And the door will be open for that? Absolutely. Yeah, which is a you know key player like that. What what? So when you talked about you know not not being too hard, but I, I know you're. It's always hard to do the work, but we like what we do. I mean, it's called hard work because it's hard. But who are some of your mentors that you had personally? You early on, yeah, yeah, early on, one of my um, earliest mentors in my business career um, was a gentleman that worked at Kimberly Clark corporation. His name was Dudley Lehman. Uh, I was working at Ogilvy at the time on the Huggies diaper account, and he was the president of the infant and child care division. 
And for whatever reason, he took an interest in me. And I had great respect for him, given his history and the impact he had had on that brand. Uh, We were opposites in many ways. Uh, I was a young African-American woman living in New York, and he was a seasoned uh, white man living in Nina, Wisconsin. He was a very big basketball fan. Uh, He... Um, was, he, was, he in with, char- was he in charge of the P&L? Was he, was he the head of the business He division? was in head of the business division. Yeah. And we just connected. We loved the brand. We loved strategy. We loved the creative process. And from him, I learned an awful lot about um, what clients expect from their agencies, um, the, the rigor required of developing a good um, communications and marketing strategy, um, when to be flexible, when to hold firm on opinions. Uh, he was had a great sense of humor and realized um, and celebrated uh, both professional uh, and interpersonal relationships. So I, I just learned learned a ton from him, and I think it was very important as my career continued, the faith that he placed in me, uh, the senior executives at Ogilvy, um, had great respect for him and for for our relationship. So he was one of my my very early mentors in business. Did you have a, a woman that that stood out for you? That would go back a little bit further. And would be my mom. Okay. Uh, was a very um, she at the time was that most of the time when I was growing up was a stay at home mom, but. Uh, not but, but Anne had uh, managed to raise um, four kids. We happened to grow up um, in a neighborhood that when we first moved in was not very integrated, and by the time we left it was a little bit more so. So she was a trailblazer in the sense of both of my parents actually for building and um, celebrating diverse communities on, on every level a very uh, bright woman, very insightful woman, very kind woman. So I like to think that I learned a lot just by watching her. Did you, um, and what'd your dad do? My dad early on was a dentist, uh, and then he ran a nonprofit that was uh, committed to um, building and maintaining integrated communities. He was vice mayor of Shaker Heights, Ohio, uh-huh. where I grew up. Shaker Heights, yeah, I've been yeah. there. Home of uh, office office max absolutely uh he then went on uh to dabble in real estate a little bit so a man of many careers well that's and do you take more after your mom or your dad you think i like to think i'm a split yeah uh when i was little people used to always tell me i was exactly like my dad and i remember when i was 14 years old and sort of midway through puberty i didn't really like the notion of being exactly like my dad um (laughs) but now i've come to realize i think we're both very um i like to think uh clear thinkers direct communicators uh, he has a very big laugh, and I do too. So I think I take uh, take some things after him. And what would your team say about you and your style of leadership that you have? What would that mean? Like my team would say, you always know where Jeff stands. You know, I, I wear it right on my sleeve. I, you know, I, I don't hide anything. I, I say it as it as it comes to me, and I just never hide it. What would they say about you? I would hope they'd say that um, I'm very passionate about my work, and that that passion is infectious. Uh, I would hope that they would say I'm a straight shooter. Uh, I like, I've always been told that I build very diverse and eclectic teams, and I think that comes from 
a real celebration of the individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think teams are stronger when they're comprised of, of lots of different kinds of people coming together uh, in support of uh, similar goals. So I, I hope they would say that as an individual, their skills and their passions are recognized and nurtured. So when you you mentioned diversity, and I wanted to jump in on that topic a little bit. I don't want to make the whole show about that, certainly, but I want to talk about that because, in fact, when I said I was going to bring it up, a couple of my people in the office said, don't, don't do that, don't do that. And I, I said, no, I want to talk about diversity because when you're in a corporate job, and I, and I consider your job a corporate job, uh, even though it's in a sports franchise, it's a big business, and that's what I mean by that. It's got lots of zeros behind it. We're, we're affecting millions of people. And diversity is a thing that's on our on our agenda as a corporate officer. You've got to look at that. So when you when you talk about diverse team, how diverse is your team? Very diverse. You know, there are men, women. There are those who have played the game, those who have not played the game, mm-hmm. um, all across the country, uh, different ages. And what I'm really proud of is the fan base of the WNBA is one of the diverse most diverse in all of professional sports. You know, mm-hmm. if you walk into a WNBA arena, you will see young, old, uh, black, white, every uh, ethnicity, uh, different religious backgrounds, uh, different sexual orientations, and we're really proud of that. And that, that group comes together because they share a love and passion for women's basketball. Um, and And I think that I like to believe that we are a model for the broader society. If, if they followed the lead of the WNBA fans, I think um, our world would be a better place. You know, I would agree with you. The more I read into you and the organization and then read into your fan base and, and the, the group and who was there, it's a lot more like the rest of America than other sports, than, say, NASCAR or the NBA, and I don't want to, you know, knock them either, but, but it, no, it's a lot more diverse. It's a lot more like the rest of the world, like the rest of the U.S. I won't say the world, but the rest of the U.S. I think that's, that's uh, you could say that. You know, in the, when you speak about diversity, I mean, do you, have a, do you have to have a goal? Do you have a goal in your operation? You have so many, so many whites, so many African-Americans, so many gay, so many straight, so many this. Do you have to do that? Like at Kodak, I had to do that. And we had, you know, we had to meet, we tried to meet goals. Now, I had 75% of the people who worked for me were women or people of color. And they actually came to me, um, and, you know, we had a chief diversity officer who was African-American. came to me and said, look, you got to work to get more white uh, middle-aged men on your team. I said, you got to be kidding me, you know. This, this, I am, yeah, I am, real, I am really proud of the fact that um, our diversity comes organically from being open and receptive and welcoming to all different kinds of people. Um, there's a, an, uh, we have consistently received uh, very, very high uh, ratings on uh, diversity and inclusion of uh, our employee base, not only here in the league office, but across our teams. So for us, it's just uh, a way of doing business. Yeah, well, it's just, it's, well, it's just life. Right. I mean, that's that's the best way to put it. It's really like life. Now, you had a big marketing rollout last year that was going to go out with pride shirts for the players, and that kind of got 
pulled back. Are, are you looking to do another attempt of that this year? Oh, no, I wouldn't say it got pulled back well, at I, all. Well, at least that's what I'm saying. One of the, the fans wrote back, and that's what he said on, in the question. So, oh, uh, then I'm uh, glad, yeah. I'm glad the, I'm glad the question came yeah, up so yeah. that I can um, clarify. So yeah. last year we did um, have a an overarching marketing campaign that was really a celebration of summer hoops. So that was the umbrella under which all of our initiatives fell. And we did that because um, we play in the summertime and, and I felt that sometimes we were apologetic about playing in the summertime rather than celebrating that we, that we play in the summer. So the notion of owning our season was very important. And then when we looked at all of this sort of signature events that fall within the summer, they really spoke to the diversity of our fan base. So June is Pride Month. So we mm-hmm. launched Pride, and I'll come back to that in a minute. But okay. we also launched Hoops for Troops, where we honor military, uh, those who serve in our military and their families, and we do that around July 4th, uh, Memorial Day or Labor Day, depending on how long our season is. We celebrate dads and daughters. We celebrate women around Mother's Day. Uh, we celebrate breast health, as we have for many, many years at the end of our season. So the umbrella of summer hoops allowed us to talk about uh, or, or tap into uh, the way in which the country at large celebrated and acknowledged different different parts of our fan base. Pride, WNBA Pride, last year was the first year that we um, really bundled together all of the initiatives that were happening at all 12 of our individual teams bundled them together and put them under the banner of WNBA Pride. Uh, it was a very, very successful um, initiative for us. The number one selling merchandise item for us all of last season was our WNBA Pride shirt. All of our teams activated. ESPN also celebrated Pride. So it was, uh, as I said, it was really a powerful, powerful platform for us, I think in part because it was already happening at the league and all of our teams, but in doing it together and in unison, it made a really, really big difference. So we will uh, be continuing that this coming season and and for the for the future. Well, I'm glad we clarified it. So, you know, it was a couple of days ago that I think became, it was a non-event, but Brittany, is it, is it Griner and Gloria Johnson? Is that... Yes. They just recently wed, which I thought was awesome, okay? And and they they came out, and then they wed. They had a wedding the other day, but it was really wasn't in the news. And I thought, that's pretty cool. And then, but yet, you, you look over at the NBA, and, like, Jason Collins comes out, and he announces he's gay, and it's it's, it's all over the front page. Is that, like, a double standard, or are you, are you guys just so beyond that, like it's over? I think there are two things happening. One is, um, in general, other sports uh, and other athletes tend to get covered more than we do. We are entering into our 19th season. Uh, I don't think we are as well known, and my very personal opinion is that um, the general population is still sort of getting comfortable with the notion of um, professional female athletes competing in a team sport. So we have a ways to go in terms of building awareness and garnering from the media the kind of coverage that I would like to see. So on one hand, um, every element of our game um, 
I believe, receives less coverage than um, some of the other uh, professional sports leagues. So I'm, I'm not surprised um, by that. I, I do believe there were a couple of publications that covered the story. I get news clips every sure. morning, so uh, I know that, yeah. It so was I know covered. That I mean, but it I, was but covered, but it was not. You know, it wasn't front page news across the yeah, country. It wasn't on the front of the New York Post, I don't think. Yeah, you know, and, and to your point, that's that's good, good and and bad. You know, the yep. the good of that is that I think um, I believe everyone should have the right to marry the person they love, and Absolutely. so the fact that this felt mainstream to some, I think, is a good thing. On the other hand, I will always um, welcome more coverage uh, for our our sport and for our players. Oh, and and I do think it was more mainstream, and that's what I meant by awesome. I just think well, one, two people find it, find love. That's great, awesome. The fact that you know, I'm I know me, I would be married to me. So I'm I'm about to hit 35 years, so I'm pretty happy about that. So, um, but anyway, let me get so to that. You almost I sit there and looked at the numbers on uh, social media for NBA. 26 million fans on Facebook. You guys have 675. They got 14 million on Twitter. You got 485. Still very impressive numbers. I would kill for those numbers, okay? But, <laughs> but, they're, but they don't have the zeros behind what the other guys have got. I mean, do you sit there and say, do you, are you just consumed by what I have to do to get to those numbers? Are you worrying about that? Are you look at those as metrics? Do you try to, try to, to compete against that? Or are you just, are you just playing your own game? Well, I, I totally respect the fact that the NBA has been around for decades, uh, and people are familiar with the league, they're familiar with the teams, they're familiar with the players. Uh, so while I set my sights and uh, truly, truly believe the sky's the limit, uh, I try not to beat myself up too much um, or the people who work very hard in support of the WNBA and our players to keep in mind that, again, we are – um, 18 years young entering our 19th season and our work and our responsibility is to do everything we can to grow the league, grow the teams and raise the profile of the women who are just amazing, amazing athletes and even more amazing citizens. Do you think you'll be at the same level that they are in the decades to come? I mean, given the same amount of time or do you think it'll even take as long to get there? You know, I'd like to believe that we can get there a little bit faster. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, social media as we know it today didn't even exist when the NBA was born. And I think one of the beauties of social media is it allows uh, fans and players to be in close conversation with each other. And at yeah. the end of the day, people follow a league, they follow a team, but what they really do is follow a player. So yeah. given that social media is alive and well at this stage in our development, uh, I think that bodes well for our future. Yeah, and you're going to probably need more Dianas, as you mentioned earlier, the more of those that you have, the better. And I'm going to come back to that, but i got to take a break because basketball teams, they run, they run, they run, and I run too. I run on coffee, and I run on nothing but Duncan. America runs on Duncan, and Duncan has an all-star team of its own with a great history and a slam dunk product. My favorite is Duncan Espresso, and I drink the double espresso. In fact, I have two of them at a time. Do you, do you drink coffee, Laurel? I drink coffee. I live in New York City, and there's a Dunkin' Donuts in my building, and I'm a 
medium with milk and one equal every morning. Awesome. There's a Dunkin' in every building. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, it's like it's almost worse than New York's worse than than Boston for Dunkin'. I mean, every time <laughs> you turn around, there's a Dunkin', which is cool. Hey, um, so do you think, you know, to get back to the core focus of, of how to get the growth and be as big as the others, you know, you know, as some of the others, not the others, because you're bigger than some other ones. So is it is it the quality of play? Is it a star player? Is it the fans following? Is it the sponsors? What's the mix that you need to have in order to be at the very top? You know, we're no different than any other sports league, and I think the model in some ways is pretty simple. You need a large, sustainable fan base, Uh, which, you know, is at the center of every sports um, league, uh, because when that happens, television, broadcast, media tends to follow. um, Partnerships become easier. So I really focus on our our core business of, of building our fan base. Um, and and then sort of the concentric circles around that of media and and partnerships. And do, you, and do you build it? I mean, when you sit down and look at it like a product, and I'm sure that's what you do. Um, how do you how do you look at it? Do you, how do you pick it apart like a business or as a marketing expert? How are you picking the different pieces? Well, you're a marketer, so you know that we've all had experiences working to market a great product and working to market a product that's not so great. And one of the real joys of joining the WNBA, I had never been to a game before uh, I became president and went to my first game and uh, had an incredible sigh of relief knowing that I was going to be marketing a really terrific product. Yeah, something that was already good. Something that was really good, you know? So really the the opportunity was how to tell the story. Uh, And the level of play, it's competitive, it's fast. Um, I hear all the time from our fans that it's basketball the way it's meant to be played. It's a focus on fundamentals. It's passing and shooting and free throws and people really, whether it is a coach of a young AAU team of girls or boys, collegiate um, coaches, um, or just your everyday fan has really come uh, when they come to a game, they often come back um, because of the way in which the game is played. And then they have the opportunity. I think the other piece that really differentiates the WNBA is just how accessible our, play, our players are. We hear that over and over again, that they are um, warm and welcoming. You know, we often have players welcome fans to the arena before a game. Uh, Minnesota has this wonderful tradition at the end of um, the game. If it's a victory, all the little kids come onto the court and get to do a dance with the players. Uh, Seattle has, uh, in fourth quarter, they blow a horn and all the kids in the arena come down the stairs and do a conga line behind the mascot and then another horn goes off and they scamper back up and try and find their seats and their parents or whoever they came to the game with. Mass chaos. So, yeah, be. exactly. It's, it's, well, I love the look on their faces. They, you know, they, they realize, oh, wait a minute, there's more than one scare, staircase in the arena. Yeah. I'm not sure which one I'm supposed to go up. And then all the adults stand up and start screaming names. But I just think, in addition to a really competitive game, the in-arena experience for all of our fans 
um, is really fun. And, right. you know, I don't know about you, but I still get excited when, I, when my feet touch that highly shellacked wood floor and I'm walking where an Olympian has walked. That's a pretty cool feeling. Hey, it's not bad. It's not bad. You know, I'm, and I used to sponsor IndyCar, NASCAR, the PGA Tour, the Yankees, even the, you know, the um, Academy Awards. And it's pretty cool. Right, anytime yeah. you go and do that. So when you, if I were to compare you to a sports team, are you operating at you know championship level in terms of the way you're you're doing your you're running the business? Oh, I think there's always room for improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, one of I think we have a really good uh, handle on both our business opportunity and our challenges. We have uh, an incredibly focused and dedicated team. Um, our owners are a very passionate group of people who really believe in women's basketball and believe in really leaving this legacy to the next generation of young girls and women. So um, in many ways, it's the most challenging work I've ever done, but it is most definitely the most rewarding work I've ever done. Yeah, How, how would you compare it to selling, I mean, you were SVP and CMO of the Girl Scouts. So how would you compare it to that in terms of the the, the skill set that you had to bring over? Surprisingly similar. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, it really is about um, figuring out the strategy, communicating it clearly and consistently, probably over-communicating it, um, making sure you know how to tell the story, the short elevator version and the longer version, uh, recognizing what's unique about the product, or the service that you have. Uh, I think even things like the structure of a league office and 12 teams Mm -hmm. is much like the national organization and the Girl Scout Council. So learning how to work, uh, I'm very clear both here at the WNBA and at Girl Scouts that it wasn't out of the office in New York where the real work happened, it's out in the field and out in the team. So really listening to those who are closest to the game and closest to the players and figuring out how to be supportive of them and to create an environment where they can do their best work. You know, somebody asked another fan question, Todd Roman asked, um, you know, clearly it seems with the success that you've had, uh, the number of teams you've had, uh, what's the latest expansion for the league as it seems that it's like it's clearly enough popularity and talent for the league to support 14 or even 16 teams again? Is there any possibility in the schedule to expand to 42 or more games as well? So uh, so let me ask you the question in a different way. How do you know when it's, when it's right to, to grow? I don't think you – I think there's a little bit of just sixth sense with it. You know, mm-hmm. I look out now and think – Um, We have 12 teams who are all contenders. The depth of talent in the league uh, just keeps getting better and better. We just came off of our draft, which was another incredible draft class where we're looking at welcoming Jewel Lloyd and Zowie B, um, really talented young women coming into the league. So the first thing you want to make sure is that the depth of talent can sustain expansion, and I think we are there. But but talent, too, on the ownership side too right i mean you can't absolutely just, you can't just say hey let's go expand and get another four more teams or six more teams and not have a good pool of people who who know what to do and absolutely get it yeah. and 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 in owners we look for passion for the game um passion for the league obviously the resources to be able to get a team up and running deep 
roots and broad connections in the community so we know what's important in uh, our ownership group and also the fan base you know you want to make sure that it's a market that um, you believe uh, will have great interest in uh, the women's game and supporting a WNBA team so we are on that process I'm very happy that there are civic organizations and individuals who've expressed interest and we keep the conversations going and it's one of those things we'll just know when the time is right and I always say it's um, a year uh, closer than it was last year and not quite as close as it'll be next year right right? and then at some point We'll have some more teams. Yeah, and, then, and <laughs> in some cases it'll have been we, we should have done that last year or something. Right, a little bit right. of that. All right, so this is rapid fire, Laura. I told you before you came on, we're going to fire some question at you. So, you, are you buckled in? I'm you, buckled in. All right, you're ready. Okay, what do you have in common with the the cat in the hat author, Dr. Seuss? We both went to Dartmouth College. Oh, ding, ding, ding. Seth, we need one of those ringing bells when she when she does that. We, we need a bell when she, you know, gets that. And then we need one of those basketball horns. Do we have one? Listen, we have it? Oh, there we go. Hey, good job, man. Talk about the magic of an iPhone. There we go, right there. Okay, here's the second question. Which Dartmouth graduate is in the Basketball Hall of Fame? Oh, you've stumped me. Ah, <laughs> I love this. Do we now we need the big horn. That yeah, that's that sucks. Okay, but that was that was a nice try, Seth. Russ Granick was the deputy commissioner of the NBA for twenty two years, retired in two thousand six, and was inducted into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame in two thousand thirteen. I was at that ceremony. I did not realize he was a Dartmouth. <laughs> well, there, I'm so glad you could come on my. You know what? I'm glad you can come on my show and learn something. You know, a lot of people do. There we go. All right. Okay. Trivia time. Basketball was invented at the YMCA in Springfield, Massachusetts in 1891. What other popular sport was also invented at a YMCA a few miles away a few years later? You got me. Volleyball. Volleyball. Uh, Holyoke, uh, Mass, a few years later. I thought that was pretty cool. Okay. Uh, WNBA fans follow the team or follow the players? Which they I follow. I the player. Yeah, I think there's a lot more of the player in 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 the women's side than the men's side. Although, you know, LeBron, LeBron had a lot. They're talking about Cleveland. Is your dad a LeBron fan? He is again. Again, he is. yeah, good. He is. I was so mad at LeBron when he left. I thought he should have done the class thing, but I'm I feel better that at least he's back. And I think people were willing to like, you know, he he had a trans transgression and he came back. So we'll see. Well, I I think. Uh, fans need to respect the decisions of the players. I have, yeah. uh, you know, I think well, they they yeah. make the, they 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 take all the information in, and understandably, I think they have the right to make the choice that's best for them. Well, it's a free choice. It's free yeah. country. Last I checked, right? Hey, what do Taylor Swift, Hillary Clinton, Martha Stewart, Sandra Day O'Connor, Lucille Ball, and Gloria Steinem have in common? Come on, get this. I have no clue. Where do you get these questions? We really, John John Lee is my producer, and he just really digs this stuff up, and he does I a great job. I might need to hire him. I'm telling you, we can come <laughs> up with some stuff. You should have, we should come over. All right, here's what they, the, Taylor Swift, Hillary Clinton, Martha Stewart, Sandra Day O'Connor, Lucille Ball, and Gloria Steinem. You're talking about a hodgepodge of people. You know what they have in common? They were all Girl Scouts. How about that? 
I thought that was pretty cool. That's I thought that, pretty good. That was pretty good. I, that's some some stuff. Okay, last one. You can't blow this one. You can't. There's I'm no way. some pressure here. Oh, no, you can get. You're going to get this one. Thin mints or peanut butter patties. Which, oh, no question. Thin mints in the freezer. Is that right? Yeah, a lot of people put them there. It, can, it goes good with Dunkin' too. How about that? <laughs> hey, listen. Uh, let me give you. You know, there's no such thing as a free lunch, and I can't buy a cup of Dunkin'. So uh, let me give you a shameless plug. What would you like to plug? I would love for anyone uh, within hearing distance to make it a priority to come to a WNBA game this summer. We're in 12 cities across the country. The season tips on June 5th, and uh, we would welcome all of your listeners at one of our games, and hopefully more than one of our games. You know what? I'm going to take you up on the offer. I'm going to go to one of myself. I'm going to do that. I'm going to take you up on the challenge. Cause it's, it looks like a lot of fun, and, you know, by gosh, we should be supporting it. And it's a good thing, and it's a local community. So let's get out there and do that. Hey, you've been a play. What a, what an awesome guest, and and then just one exciting and good to see a marketer do well and what you're doing there, and and uh, well spoken, well represented, and I just appreciate you so much for coming on board. Well, it was my pleasure. I enjoyed the conversation, and the competitor in me wants to do better next time on the rapid fire round. Well, I, I tell you what, you're <laughs> gonna we're gonna send you some test questions. You go practice them, figure them out, and then we're gonna come back and stump you again because we're competitive as well. <laughs> All right. Well, you're on. All right, you know. Laurel. Thanks so much. Cheers. Thank you. All Alrighty. Bye bye. Bye bye. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by Fortinet. Okay, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned, and I learned a lot with Laurel. First of all, I had a great time just talking to her because she's challenging. She's very articulate and very smart. And I like to see marketers who are like that. And she's made the transition. Very few marketers, and I can only count about five or six, that have gone on and become a CMO to become a president or a CEO of a large corporation. And you've got to say, this is a large corporation. This is big dollars. Millions and millions and millions and billions of dollars are being spent in here in terms of advertising, endorsements, and just ticket sales, and lots of money to be made. There's a lot more growth, and she's saying that. And she knows one of the things is she knows it's got to be kind of a gut feeling. And we all know that when we're entrepreneurs. We all know that when we're professionals. you got to be able to know and trust your gut when it's right. Can I ask her the question about are you going to expand or not expand? And she says, you know, we'll kind of know it's like a sixth sense. So don't forget, listen to that sixth sense because it happens all the time in business. If your gut's telling you one thing, it probably is. I've, You know, it's like those old things. I, I've asked people about when they fired someone, should they have fired them sooner? They always say sooner. They knew it was the case. And I'm not saying she needs to fire anyone. No, no, no. I'm saying, look, she trusts her sixth sense. She trusts that gut feeling. So, hey, don't forget, take her up on her offer. Go see one of these WNBA games. We were talking to Laurel Ritchie, and this has been All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett on Play.it. Tell your friends. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.